I got a message for your American buddy. I'm your wife, damn it! Ah, would have to go up to the wives in the library or the supermarket and say hello. I am new here. I know, George, you think I don't know anything, but I know people. I get 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. You want your file? I found you your file. You want it out? I got you out. You needed money? I found you something. You know, let's face it here. I've got to, you know, latch on to something in my life. Oh, yeah, you blind. No use to try to sweet talk me, Miss Scarlett. I know you ever since I put the first pair of diapers on you. Who was going to love me? Who, who was going to make me feel good? I wish I had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I got a two-inch thick solo in steak. Sit and defrost and wait this minute. When you and Guy come over and supper with us tonight, what do you say? Hello and welcome to another episode of The Best Supporting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. My name is Nick Kachanov, and we all go a little mad sometimes. And my name is Colin Drucker, and I saw Mass, and we, I just, sorry. <laughs> Stop the presses. Stop the presses. I know, <laughs> I... Oh my goodness! I mean, go on. It's I, this is hard because you've seen it I and know. I have not. I know. So so I'm tread lightly, but please. Oh, I'm. You have I'm gonna floor. say almost nothing. You know, uh, I, I'll probably have a bit more to say in the best supporting after show, but I am indeed completely hijacking this episode to a say that I have seen Mass, and if anyone doesn't know what Mass is, I don't know why you listen to this podcast, but. Uh, Mass, it is, you know, Ann Dowd, Martha Plimpton, Jason Isaacs, and Reed Burney, and and a great couple supporting ladies that I wasn't expecting anyway. Oh, okay. I've said too much. Um, Mass, fortunately, one of the very few benefits of living in New York in this godforsaken city is that when movies come out in limited release and select theaters, New York, you know, gets to be kind of the top of that list. And so... My lovely co-host Nick is in Pittsburgh, and for some reason they have to wait a few weeks before Mass is coming to the area, to the Allegheny area. Oh, no. Help us out. Is there a way that Mass could be attended earlier? Help us out. Uh, I love that. An early morning service. And perhaps, maybe yeah. By way of an email to thebsapod at gmail.com if there's any way that maybe I can see it before it arrives at Pittsburgh, uh, you know, drop us a line. Yeah, um, that would be great because uh, by the time you do get to see it, I will probably have seen it 12 or 13 times. So you're going to have to catch up, you know, just just being forewarned. Yeah, yeah, you'll be fully immersed where I'm just, you know, I'm just dipping my finger in the holy water, but you're already baptized, you know? Oh, absolutely. I'm an <laughs> altar server. I got a confirmation name, you know? Yes. Absolutely. Lighting that incense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might go on a mission retreat. I don't know. Who knows? But I'm I'm, I'm so excited that you saw it. I'm insanely jealous. I, I need to find a way to see it. Yes. But um, if not, we will wait you know, we we have some cool things actually on the schedule for the the, the rest of October. Yeah, some spooky. Yeah, movie. spooky enough. You know, right? Spooky I'm not, enough. I'm, I'm not going crazy here, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, the reality is that like by the time you do get to see Mass, it pretty much lines up perfectly. You know, for when we have an open slot to talk about it. So, as far as this podcast is concerned, it's more of a personal thing. But you know. Ma you know, Mass may take a hacks protocol, and it's like, sorry, spooky episodes. We got to talk about Mass. So, yeah, you know, we can do spooky in November. That's fine. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to put that out there before we get into indeed talking about Psycho this week, our first spooky movie of the month. Um, after just, it's worth it's worth noting again, again a rollicking couple of weeks on this podcast. Yeah, I would even put uh, Fatal Attraction under, you know, spooky movie. Oh, you that's know, true. A suspenseful movie. Mm -hmm. And then we had the Weston. Lots where... of suspense there of who, who was yes, going to win. Yes, of course. Yeah. What an episode, by the way. If I had an applause button right now for, for you, Colin, oh. who edited that episode and put all the clips in, it was just so wonderful to listen to. I was grinning from ear to ear. And thank you for all of your efforts. I'm sure it was a blast, though. I'm hoping it, oh, was, it was to edit that. It was, it, you know, it, it took a lot of time. But I say that as like when, you, when you're doing something that you enjoy, it's like, yeah, I just I want to finish this. I want to do this. And um, 
you know, before we did the episode, we talked about like, oh man, if we really wanted to be ambitious, we could put a lot of audio clips in and really kind of plump her up, you know, plump this little roaster up and, and we did it. And I am, ugh, I'm so happy though. And I'm sure this may come up in our after show. Once I finished the episode, I felt like I was in the Great British Bake Off trying to bring my cake up to the judges of like, okay, yes. okay, now download the file. Okay, let's make sure everything's okay. Like I was so afraid something was going to get lost because there were so many clips and uh, and it worked out fine. So um, yeah, if anyone, if you have yeah. not listened to the Westons, it's a great review of everything we've queened out about over the past two years. So uh, it's worth it. Just for that alone. Amen. Yeah. It's a great episode. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you for co-hosting mm. it. And here's to 100 more. Um, I know. I know. The reviews were in. We got a, a text from Jody. Oh, yes. She said it was NP- NPR level uh, <laughs> episode, which, you know. That's huge. Uh, yeah. Pretentious white men. <laughs> we are. Oh, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. My diva <laughs> is Terry Gross. Yeah. So that's, that's huge. <laughs> Um, sounds like a great drag name, Terry. Terry Gross, Gross yeah. Well, and I, yes. I do or scary Gross, scary there Gross, scary Gross, yeah. Um, well, I do have a terrible uh, Ira Glass impression. If you want, I can. Um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. if you're, if you would, sure, indulge, sure. Yes. So uh, let's see if I. I'm, here we go. Um, this is uh, Ira Glass. This American Life. This episode, story in three parts, part one. Etc. and so forth. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. It, just um, it's just above the level of caring enough without with also sounding like it. You know. Okay. Let's just do this and get it over. Yeah. With, and all the sentences know? bump into each other. It's like it's very short. Yeah. And this week on American Life. This American Life. A story in three parts. Part one. Who did move my cheese? We talked to yes, a woman yes, in Kentucky yes, that's who. Good. Yeah. Um, and then yes, cut to a woman in Kentucky. Good. Yeah. Um, anyway, and finally, and then some kind of like deep tease of what the third act is about. Anyway. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we're even less like NPR now that I've done my terrible Ira Glass. So let's <laughs> get into it. I am so excited to talk about Psycho today. It, it actually has a Best Supporting Actress nominee in it. I would even argue an assistant to the BSA as well. I mean, an assistant to the BSA. Uh, that was a surprise. I forgot about her. When I guess my question I was just going to ask you, too, is when was the first time that you saw Psycho? What's your history with it? I mean, it's it's been a while. I've, I, I probably first saw it like in, in high school. It was, you know, probably at that point where I was like, all right, let's add this to the catalog. But I know that it's something I... I've known, and, and, you know, we, we all kind of know things about it before we see it. Um, it's kind of like Fatal Attraction, where there's elements of it that are now kind of in pop culture. So I feel like i you know, probably seen it a handful of times, you know, throughout, you know, high school or college or my 20s. And then, and I kind of always liked it. And then one time I actually got to see it, it was... Um, I think it was at Lincoln Center. They were doing a screening of Psycho with a live orchestra doing the score. And that Ooh, was really cool. Um, that's cool. Yeah, that was, a, and that felt like a cool experience. And um, and that was the last time I'd seen it until uh, just today when I watched it again. And um, a bit of a deep tease of my own, Ira Glass. We all have deep teases around here. Coming in up in Act 3, my, how I saw it in a new light this time. Um, Ooh. Yeah, but uh, first, uh, how about you? Well, I, I, considering especially that you're not a horror movie connoisseur, where, yeah. does, where does Psycho fall in your history? I actually have a very similar story. I think my dad, uh, you know, my dad, he doesn't really have, like, favorite movies. We've never had that conversation. Like, he just watches old reruns of, like, Oh, what's that show with like uh what's the one where it like starts whistling oh uh the Andy Griffith show <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 like that and like other things on like tv land and but then he like got into like a, a twilight zone phase mm. and like dvr like all of them so like there's there's stuff there but like he's just kind of uh i don't know he has a pretty wide range of interests but I think like there was just one day where he was like, I think you and your brother should watch this. So I was like, all right. And I, I was a little bit scared going into it, but soon realized that there's really nothing. I mean, maybe for the time this was, you know, pretty outrageous. Um, but uh, this is definitely, it definitely falls under that sort of 
film noir sort of mm-hmm. like vibe, which I like, I could have probably cut 30 minutes out of Psycho, to be honest. Like, th- I, as far as just like, I don't know, there were just like things that were happening that were so, um, like even like the cleanup after, mm-hmm. um, after the shower scene, I was like, we could probably could have trimmed like two minutes off because, you know, I'm always interested in cutting time. I feel like this movie could have been like an hour and 20, like easily. Yeah. But yeah, regardless, I still really liked it. And really enjoyed the score going back to that and the performances. Yeah, the score, you know, it's so interesting, you know, the the connections I think that Psycho has with Halloween from 1978. I mean, they're both movies that started like a format and like were sort of groundbreaking. Like Psycho, it was kind of, you know, in some ways, I don't want to say the first slasher, but like a lot of what was happening in Psycho was not happening in movies before. And then Halloween kind of became the first real like American slasher movie that then set off uh, a genre. And then of course, Janet Lee stars in psycho her daughter, Jamie Lee Curtis stars in Halloween. And I know I love that, you know, and the sort of like name connections of, of characters in Halloween and, and in psycho. And then I think the most important thing is that really high, in my opinion, Halloween and psycho are both good movies turned great because of their scores. Yes. Written by uh, Bernard Herrmann. Mm-hmm. Herrmann? Mm-hmm. It's like H-E-R-R-M-A-N-N. Uh, you know, he did North by Northwest, The Man Who Knew Too Much, like other Hitchcock stuff. And he won an Oscar for Anna and the King of Siam in 1948. So I'm like, all right, good for you, Andrew. Um, or not Andrew, Bernard. Where did I get Andrew yeah, from? Yeah, you guys, maybe that's Doesn't his middle matter. name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, it's just so... It, I've heard other scores try to imitate this, yeah. I guess. You know what I mean? Like, and, and if this is the first of its kind, like, I get why people were, were really, like, latching onto it and had a response to it because it adds so much to the score. Absolutely. Or to the movie, to the movie, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. It really, I mean, I think if you took the score out, I mean, I think even Alfred Hitchcock, before he saw the movie with the score, was like, I don't know about this one. And it just, and he's even said, like, I, the, the IMDb trivia was that once he saw the movie with the score, he like doubled Bernard Herrmann's salary. Cause it was like, basically you're responsible for like 33% of this movie's success. Yeah. And yes. I, and I, and I'm okay with that. I think that's, you know, uh, I love that. That's one of my favorite parts of a horror movie is the score. And if it's a big score, or, you know, a, a one that wants to be seen and known um, it's, I can't believe that this didn't get nominated for an Oscar. Like, I haven't listened to I the know. other nominees, but I'm shocked. Because, I mean, not for nothing, but I know the score to Psycho. I don't know the score to any of those other movies or the one that won. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There are parts of it, like like I said, like I saw it in high school and then I didn't see it until just like yesterday. So, but like even still, there are it sounds familiar, even though I've only heard it like once, you know? Like, mm-hmm. And it's probably because, like I said, two other people have come... Have come close to like replicating it or just like borrowing, you know, themes and stuff Absolutely. too. But um yeah. I I I love it. I really love the score. So Psycho, I think, is a really interesting and the score kind of being a part of this, Psycho I think is a really interesting example of an Alfred Hitchcock movie because what he was kind of tasked to do was basically create this like you know lurid you know black and white cheapy almost drive-in movie you know and with a with a super cheap budget and with not very big stars and yet he kind of brought all of the finesse that he was bringing to these big major productions and so it was kind of this interesting combination of like essentially what if you gave this like master chef these very basic ingredients and he had to make a feast you know like how do you yeah. how do you make Thanksgiving out of Seven Eleven? You know, um, yeah, and and so kind of in comparison, like if you look at the movies before this, you look at Vertigo and North by Northwest and Rear Window, like the mere fact that they're all in color, they're bigger budgets, they're bigger stars. Um, whereas Psycho, I mean, it, it, basically he used the TV crew, uh, he used the crew from like Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and I think Janet Lee was probably the biggest star, and the whole point of it was, you know let's get a movie star and then let's kill her, you know? Um, yeah. And I think that is what I really took away this time watching it. Cause I've had mixed opinions about psycho throughout the years. And what I really took away this time was um, 
I that that juxtaposition, juxtaposition makes Psycho so interesting that this is this could be this really should be on paper just this kind of slimy drive-in movie with like you know kind of of the time the thrills of murder and and a, and the shocking twist at the ends and all that mm-hmm. and and that somehow it is you know despite that it's elevated as this kind of like quintessential classic horror movie um and so yeah i love that it's you know uh a feast using white bread you know yeah because i mean i don't i mean we weren't around back then obviously too but um i i feel that and you already already kind of answered it too it's like what makes this different from like cause for alarm because in Mm -hmm. many ways too it's like same sort of type of movie not a little less violent for sure cause for alarm is um but still i mean it has the same elements there too but there is something and i think I guess it really does fall back to the score, the performances, and then, and, and you know, we'll even throw, obviously, Alfred Hitchcock, like mm-hmm. his his eye in this movie. Like, it's just, um, some of these shots are just so, like the shot of her eye after, yeah. um, you know, the shower scene and just that slow pull out. First of all, how did she stay still that long and not blink that I mean I'm impressed by that uh, number one too but there's just so many I don't know I think of like uh, the guy the private investigator falling down the stairs Mm -hmm. and maybe that sort of camera trick had been done but like it just feels very like it's a template in a way uh, like you said too it's just like he's changing the game absolutely I mean I think that you know cause for alarm and like film noir is a great reference point for psycho because the first 45 minutes of the movie is film noir. I mean, that was, I was thinking about that Mm -hmm. having watched a bunch of film noir movies or, you know, over the past few months, having that kind of filled in those gaps, it actually made watching psycho made me appreciate it so much more because I saw, Oh, I see what you're doing. I saw what all those other movies were doing where you have a woman on the run and, you know, like the, the embezzling and the drama of that and the affair, like, you know, everything about it in that first 45 minutes, I was like, this is, you're following a kind of classic model. And so then, and I kept thinking of like watching Psycho having no idea what's going to happen. And just the idea of her getting to the to the motel and meeting Norman. And Norman is a character that we like haven't really seen in movies before, certainly in American films. It, it's, Norman Bates is such a, a uniquely twisted and, um, menacing and yet not menacing character. Like he's the boy next door, but he's obviously, you know, pretty fucked up. And, mm-hmm. and of course, then just the fact that like for the time, I mean, you're watching a movie with Janet Lee. She's pretty much who you're following scene by scene. The idea that she'd get killed 45 minutes in, I mean, that just did not happen, you know? And if it did happen yeah. in a movie, you knew it, it was part of the plot. And so it, I think one of the biggest things that Psycho did was it it just like in the way that we might watch movies now and we have a general sense of where we think things might be going or you watch a horror movie and you think, oh, that's our final girl. What Psycho did was yep. like, I don't even know who to follow. I don't know who to trust anymore. And and at the time, I mean, compared to the other movies that were coming out, the other horror movies, other film noir, this was, yeah, like leaps and bounds above. And again, with white bread and peanut butter, you know? Yeah, I'm really interested, and I, I, I don't think Anthony Perkins wasn't nominated for this too. But like the character of Norman Bates is so well written because for all the reasons you said, and and just the fact that like I feel this is my just sort of educated guess of like the movies of the time that you can tell if someone was bad within the first second of looking at them. They looked grungy or they seem shady, and like with Norman. It's it's the opposite, like you were saying too. It's like he seems like kind of just like a lovable dope mm-hmm. who likes his mom and happens to live in a creepy house. You know what I mean? But then there are shades of like once they start having dinner, and was it in the in, in the office they had dinner it was or in like the parlor by the office? Yeah, yeah, and um, you can see. It's like, okay, she, I, I some red flags are slowly starting to be raised here, um, but you still don't know. And the whole th- the whole time, you think it actually is the mother. I think that's what the one, my one complaint 
is that they had the voiceover be an actual woman for the mother. Mm-hmm. To my knowledge, I don't think it was Anthony Perkins, obviously, doing that voiceover. It sounded like a legitimate woman. It is. You know what I it mean? It is. They, they did yeah. have, I think they actually ended up using like three different actresses and kind of either blended their voices or used, you know, one or the other at different times. But yeah, it's not Anthony Perkins, you know, putting on a voice. Yeah, and I, but... For good reason, though, I guess, because right. if it was him, you would know earlier. And that's the big twist, obviously, too, that there's more that meets the eye. And, and part of me is like, could he have made it back up to the house in time to kill the private investigator? You know what I mean? Like, how did he know? How did he get in the dress so quick? But also forgiven because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Those details don't matter. But um, yeah, I thought Anthony Perkins is really great. Like, I think he's I think he's a really good actor. I know that, like, he wasn't nominated for this, but I... I just love the name Norman Bates too. I just feel like it flows like off the tongue so well. I sound like RuPaul over here, but um, no. But I it's just, a, did you watch? It's a pleasing yeah, name, Norman Bates. I uh, know, yeah, yeah Mister Bates. Um, you didn't watch Bates Motel, did you? With like Vera Farmiga and I did not. Uh, Neither did I. That's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did watch, and we can talk about it later. But I did watch the Shot for Shot remake from 1998, and I was going to suggest maybe watching some scenes to you but Mm. spoiler alert it is not worth it and we can talk about that but yeah i was really surprised that anthony perkins wasn't nominated i think this is a phenomenal performance it Mm -hmm. just again i one that i just of all of the movies that i was watching of that time i had not seen before it's so layered it's so interesting i um yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it, it, and then when I look at, you know, who was nominated and who won, I mean, it's all these big Hollywood movies, and it's like, sure. I think Burt Lancaster won that year, so it's like, all right, you know, um, little, you know, fey homosexual Anthony Perkins didn't get nominated for playing, a, uh, you know, a, a cross-dressing murderer, you know? Yes, it all, yeah, it's ahead of its time yeah. in that way, too, but like, these days, who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, we look at performances like... Uh, Heath Ledger almost, you know what I mean? Um, and other performers like that. And um, yeah, I agree. I, I wish this would have got uh, more attention or at least uh, him in this performance because he really is great. It's it's like just bubbling beneath the surface. It's so controlled. and But like the way that he, his nervous acting, there's mm-hmm. no other way to like say it when, when the, you know, her sister and that guy come back, like how he's just like, he knows he's juggling too many plates or spinning too many plates at once. And he's like, it's starting to come apart. And to watch that is really interesting. Yeah. And that's, you know, I I think that kind of control for a movie like this, that is kind of tiptoeing on the edge of like, you know, an exploitation movie of just being kind of like this, this lurid slasher with a dirty secret twist at the end it's still like all of the performances are so restrained, obviously Anthony Perkins, Mm -hmm. but Janet Lee, I mean, everyone knows Marion Crane for screaming in the shower, but that's really the only time she is not terrorized the entire movie. She of course was nominated for best supporting actress. And I think what's so fascinating about her performance is how controlled it is. Like she, it's pretty level the rest of the movie. Yeah. I, I'm obsessed with this performance. I just think it's I and I didn't, of course, didn't really catalog it the first time around too, mm-hmm. because I just think you know, anytime you watch something for the first time, especially if you're younger or whatever. But I, I think that's what I liked the most about it. I loved like how her character was written to not really. I don't like. I feel did she know she was gonna steal that money? You know what I mean? Like, was that just an idea that she came up with on the spot? Mm-hmm. You know, like and. And like how she sort of does not give a shit about that guy in the cowboy hat and just very calmly and directly answers him like, you know, like he he was like, uh, you should go to Las Vegas. And she's like, I'll be spending the weekend at home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, she has. It, it's perfect. It's not. She doesn't fit the mold of like the regular woman in that era, too. You know, something is I wouldn't say something is wrong, but you know that she's. I don't know. I don't know how to complete that sentence. Maybe you can help me. I know what you mean. I think that, you know, I was thinking about this and and 
the casting, the character. I was thinking in a in a different in a film noir made you know ten years earlier about a woman stealing money and being on the run. They might have Barbara Stanwyck in the role, and she wouldn't get killed in the shower. And you know she might you know who knows what you know justice may come to her at the end, but it would be a lot more like Barbara Stanwyck. You know, no, no, no shade, Barbara, but she would be much more <laughs> dismayed. You know, there would be a lot of back of her hand against her forehead, you know, a lot of maybe clutching a, a, a handkerchief. Whereas Janet Lee, I feel like it, it feels like a very modern performance. It doesn't feel affected. She's not using like old Hollywood acting style, you know, to portray yes. her fear. It's a lot of just an inner monologue and inner, you know, and inner life going on. It's really, you know, her driving and just her eyes kind of darting around as her head is spinning. You know, it's. And I think, you know, really that whole dinner scene between her and Anthony uh, Perkins is, uh, you know, a, a masterclass to, to use a, 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 a pretentious term. It's incredible. The tension sure. between them, the, the chemistry, the silences. I mean, it's like watching a one act play. Yeah, I loved that scene. I I just like there's there's so much danger wrapped around it because they just volley back and forth and she's just kind of asking questions mm -hmm. and he's answering them in the best way that he knows how. But like sometimes he oversteps or he realizes that he might be a little bit too, you know, that wasn't the answer. And like the way that she shows that and like how she still like takes a bite of her sandwich. I the sandwich I acting so much. The sandwich acting. Yes. Some of. My favorite eating acting is Janet Lee in this. The way she butters the bread. It's um, I'd read in the trivia that Alfred Hitchcock had let them improvise a bit, and so like for example, when Norman is eating candy later, that was all like improv. And so I feel like this scene is like there's one part where he like puts his hand out and puts it on one of the stuffed birds on like the dresser next to him, and I thought. No one told him to do that. This is improvised. Yeah. And the way she ate the sandwich was all improvised. Like it just, I think that was really something I picked up this time when I was really excited by, particularly with the two of them, was just there was a real lived in quality that I wouldn't have expected from a movie called Psycho about a guy who stabs a woman to death in the shower, you know? Yeah, I, I wonder this, and maybe it was said, but like where... Where was Marion going? Where was she going? Um, like, what did she, did she have a plan? I mean, she's heading north into California. So she may have yeah. been going, she may have been taking the money and going to Sam. Cause I think he lived in California and she was in, okay. in Phoenix. And so I think mm -hmm. she was heading to him. Uh, it, it, it's a little, yeah. And that, then it was a little unclear to me, like, well, how far is he from the motel? You know, like how close did she get? Um, I don't know. That's what I assumed was that she was taking the money and that they were he was going to leave his wife and they were they could run off together. I see. Yeah, it's cuz there is it's like she's smart enough but she also doesn't think everything through. Like why would you drive through downtown mm -hmm. when the boss like crosses the intersection like I would feel like I would take a different road or you know, um, when she's changing out I the don't cars, know. I feel like yes, she's yes. being kind of like obvious and sloppy with that. Like it's yes, it's interesting how in the first half of the movie we see her navigating being suspicious, and in the second half of the movie it's it's Norman and him being suspicious, and the two of them having mm -hmm. secrets. I mean, for as much as I do appreciate, I, I and I'm excited to talk about Lila. Um, you know, and there are some interesting supporting characters. Uh, there is a world where you could. You could do some kind of, I mean, if you want to be like wildly pretentious, you could do some kind of like modern dance number about Marion and Norman, because I think they have a really oh, yeah. fascinating relationship. I think their lives mirror each other. She's looking to disappear. He lives like a hermit. They both have these secrets. They both, you know, I think are yearning to, you know, be someone or somewhere that they're not. And I don't know. I, I love that like they are, they found each other in the middle of nowhere and that there is really this like deep connection that they've, they already have. Yeah. It reminds me, I'm trying to think of similar relationships and movies that we have like covered or talked about. But the first thing that came to mind was silence of the lambs mm. with like Clarice and Hannibal Lecter. And it's like, they might not have a lot in common obviously too, but like that chemistry between them 
of like really two unlikely characters put in a situation like I could watch that could be the whole movie for me. Yeah. Like I'm, I don't need to yeah. see like I'm I'm just enjoying myself watching them. Yeah, it's interesting to think about the dinner scene in Psycho and to think about the interrogation, you know, the the scenes between Hannibal and Clarice in Silence yeah. of the Lambs and it's just two people talking but it's like I could watch this. This could be the entire movie. I don't need anything else. Yeah. Um, and that's always been a challenge I've had with Psycho. And I, I may feel a little bit differently this time around. But I've often felt that like it is an excellent movie for 45 minutes. And then it progressively gets closer to being just a good movie by the end. You know? Yeah. Yes. I, I see I see that logic too, because then it's just like, all right, well, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, whoa, she's dead already. Yeah. And because it's, even though it is 45 minutes, like it still feels like the movie just started. Yeah. and Which I love. Right. I love that that's the effect. Yeah. The 45 minutes flies by it. Like it does. And again, we, we've not, we haven't met half of the, you know, the characters or we've only seen one scene with Sam. We've seen, uh, Marion at work with her coworker played by Alfred Hitchcock's daughter. Um, oh wow! You know it's funny. I uh, I know you had. This is gonna sound. This is gonna sound egotistical, but it's because we had just talked about this in a different topic, off off yeah. the mic. But I know you had. You were listening to a recent episode of In the Details where I, I was talking about that movie, yeah. uh, in a lonely place. I don't know if you got to that part, but the actress that I talk about in that episode, she would play this role. Like this is such like a, her name is Jeff Donnell. This is such a Jeff Donnell role, and that is a you know a minor nuance for anyone who keeps track of supporting actresses in the 40s 50s and 60s but um but yes that is uh it's that kind of like you know not the lead just a featured player doesn't play a glamorous lady uh it was that kind of supporting secretary supporting secretary that's a category for us in addition to food acting i'm gonna put you know tony collette in there with that popsicle oh yeah absolutely yeah best supporting food acting yeah it's for the it's for the westons all of this is for the westons um (laughs) yeah best supporting secretaries yeah we've talked about that on r8 mary where it's like how many 80s movies has like the boss's secretary who's like you can't go in there he's in the middle of something yes exactly i think of um uh like amy sedaris and elf i know that's like a deep cut and you probably don't really love Elf, but she's great in it i'm sure she's she's, really yeah she's she's great I'm sure she's uh, but great, that's okay. but I, um, I, I think that you know there was a time when I had some, some judgments of School of Rock, and I've come around, and I don't sure, think yeah. that I will ever come around on Elf because I think that movie is just so irritating. I don't want to watch him eat <laughs> spaghetti with chocolate. <laughs> like no, I do love Elf. I do love it. So I, you know. I mean, and I've never watched the whole thing. I've only seen parts of it, but the parts I've seen, I'm like, oh. Sure, I get it. But I I do think it's one of Will Ferrell's best. But I'm interested to know, well, maybe we'll just, you know, once December rolls around, we'll have that conversation again. I won't make you watch Elf. I I will not make you watch it in full. Yeah. um, uh, best supporting Zoe Deschanel like, or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Oh, my gosh. That's so that's crazy. Yeah. Um. Anyway, anyway, back to Psycho. Um, yeah, speaking of, of Psychos. Um, so, <laughs> you know, one thing I do want to note is uh, the men, the men in this men. movie are so hot. It's, it's stupid. Yeah. So John Gavin plays Sam Loomis. And, you know, the first scene we see of him is, is you know, shirtless in that hotel room. And I was like, good God, John Gavin. Look at you. Um, he's one of those yeah. Hollywood actors where I'm like, is he gay? Did he have like a... Like a Rock Hudson yeah, type. Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned. I'll find out. Yeah. He... And another thing too that's really interesting is because I, I feel over the years, obviously, and that the type of like muscle man that we see like today by this you know standard like everyone has to look like they're out of the movie 300 but back then like you could still be muscular but you didn't have to be like chiseled and he was chiseled yeah i was like whoa yeah you could you could butter your corn between his packs it was really (laughs) there was definition um, yeah, I was into it. I approved. I'm going to just do a quick look at his IMDb. I'm sure it's going to say he's got a wife. He died in 2018. Um, let's oh, see. That was recently. Wow. Yeah, I should put my glasses on, my John Gavin glasses. All right, let's see. Ooh. Oh, his nickname was Jack. Oh, my God. 
and I noticed this in the movie. You know, in that scene when he's talking to Norman um, while Lila's going up to the house, <gasps> and he's yes. so much taller than Norman. Yeah, be- he was so close to Norman. He, oh, I was yeah. like, what's happening yeah. here? Well, that's, and I can look up An- uh, Anthony Perkins' height, but it's probably not as tall as John Gavin at six foot four. Whoa, what a hunk. Uh, what a hunk. So now like, let's look at Anthony. Um, Tony, Tony, Tony. How tall were you, Tony? <laughs> Tony Perkins. Oh, that's crazy. Tony, Anthony Perkins was six foot one and a half. Anthony, okay. were you lying, Anthony? Um, anyway, uh, John Gavin's birth name is Juan Vincent Apablasa Jr., Okay, this is so funny. I'm just like scrolling through his IMDb profile, and there's yeah. definitely a quote that's uh, Gavin was positioned as the quote unquote next Rock Hudson. <laughs> okay, all right, that gets say me excited. No more. All right, say like, no more. Yeah. Well, he does have uh, a couple. He's got two spouses: Constance Towers, who he was with from 1974 to 2018. So I guess it, I guess it was love. And then Cicely Evans from 1957 to 1965, but they got divorced. So hmm. um, that that means nothing. Constance Towers. That's a great name, Constance too. Towers. I know. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so TBD on John Gavin being, at the very least, on the down low. Uh, we want you on our sure. team, John. But yeah, Anthony Perkins was, and God, what a little cutie patootie in this movie. Yeah, there's something, I know what you mean. It's like, it's it's hard to describe, but I, I get it. I get it. He's sexy and like, but it's hard because he's like a psycho. Yeah. It's like, hence the name. But also, um, yeah, I'm I'm into it. Like, I feel like there's there's something there. Yeah. He just, I, it, every once in a while, like, I, you know, I'll, if, even if you watch, like, if you watch an old, like, movie from the 30s with, like, Jimmy Stewart, it's like, oh, he's oh, so yeah. hot. Oh, my God. Yes. How did yes, he get so yes, hot? Yes. So that's always, you know, a fun thing. I also have to say, not for nothing, but Detective Arbogast, Martin Balsam, you can also get it. I was going to say, giving us like some Sarge energy a little uh-huh, bit. Maybe. Uh-huh. L- yes. A little bit of like, Arbogast. you know, Martin Balsam walked so that Bob Hoskins could run, you know? <laughs> yes, uh, yes. When can we talk about Bob Hoskins on this podcast? Ugh. I don't know. We need to figure it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. Best supporting Bob Hoskins. Uh, exactly. But then assistance to the BSA and a potential best supporting sister, we get Vera Miles as Lila Crane. She's great. I also think, I mean, assistant to the BSA through and through. I mean, she kind of picks up the baton. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's not it's not quite the same character, obviously, or the same person, but like it's I really, really bought everything that she was selling like Mm -hmm. even when they go to um her and sam go to that you know what is he the sheriff or someone yeah the house when they late at night and like the way i just was watching her listening to him and i i i I, it sounds like such a silly thing to say but like i believed her like i could Mm -hmm. see the like the stress and the panic in her eyes and i really really enjoyed her i did too i've always really enjoyed lila as a character i love i think mm-hmm. going back to film noir you know i love you know a lot of times they'll be like a second female lead you know they'll be the suspicious yes. sister you know and that's what i love about lila is in in some ways she is such an archetype of you know the second female lead of film noir and you know it's and and in horror movies, I mean, yeah, there's that crosses over as well, where there's like, you know, I'm looking for my sister, and um, or I'm looking for my friend, or whatever. Like there, you know, there's yeah. the the other, you know, who becomes our our heroine who shows up, you know, halfway through the movie. I I think they were trying to lean into this a little in the remake, uh, but I like the idea that Lila is a lesbian. I like just okay. playing with that. I, there's a, there's it just makes me like her character more, and just you know makes me love Psycho more. That like our quote unquote final girl is a lesbian, but yeah, you know there's the narrative there. She lives with her sister. Um, you know they're they're you know I don't know what how old they're supposed to be at this point, but I would imagine maybe early thirties. Um, there's just a sense of like I feel like especially in a movie like this. 
if there is an unmarried woman of a certain age, there's usually a reason, you know, because it was just sure. the norm for women to have boyfriends. Yes. And we even, you know, lo- you know, Marion, for example, we're given a relationship, like a uh, relationship status right away. You know, um, yeah. we never see one with Lila. There's never a sense of a developing bond between Sam and Lila, which, you know, uh, you would almost expect so I, and she's she's got a toughness about her that in the 60s would mean oh she's a lesbian you know yes i see what you're saying i do love that that they have to team up even though she knows that he's like you know her sister's committing adultery or like he was committing adultery with marion mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like she's like whatever you had i don't care i just want to know where she is like i just love that that's her first i love when the guy's like sam the girls here, some girls here to see you. I just like love that. Like, I, I mean, I, I hate it and I love it at the same time where like some broads here at the front of the yeah. store to see you. Yeah. And, um, and then she, he realizes who she is, but uh, it's great. Yeah. I, I really, I like that she comes in guns a blazing and I like that even though there's, you know, the one scene where he's like, well, you stay here and I'm going to go check it out after that. She's like, no, you stay here and I'm going to go check it out. And I, uh, that was just, I love that. That always excited me. You know, as much as I, I love the first 45 minutes, the, the tension of Lila exploring the house. I mean, that is, that's some pretty creepy shit when she's looking around Norman's bedroom. Oh yeah. The, like the imprint on the bed. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. I think I always forget that there's all of that. I always just remember the fruit cellar and I forget that she has all of that going around, you know, the, the bedrooms. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, go, you know, the, 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 I, I always wonder about this of like, oh, what was it like to realize that she was dead? You know, because they, to credit to the movie, they try to set it up that it's like Norma Bates, you know, Mrs. Bates is not actually dead. And, you know, um, yes. And she's the one doing this. Like they managed to, I think, throw you off the trail enough. And so I feel like at the time, this was pretty shocking and like trying to appreciate it through that lens. But I always want that moment in the fruit cellar to last longer. Yeah, what is that? I was thinking that too. It's like, I do I want a full-blown, like, mayor of Easttown chase throughout the house? Right. No. It's, it sounds stressful. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, like, I... But I, I get what you're saying because it is, like, once everyone just magically shows up at the right time, you know, Sam uh-huh. shows up and like, and, but I do love everything that leads up to that moment where she, you know, even the slow turnaround of yeah. like the chair, there's like a pause and then she screams and like whacks the light above her. Uh, I'm obsessed with the whacking of the light. That is, I think one of the best nuances of this movie. The one I've always yes. loved is that she hits the light. <laughs> yes. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's so, so smart. I just, the effect that it has, I think is so cool. Mm-hmm. I think if maybe like the way that I would have extended it is then like Norman comes in and then it's like him, you know, trying, you know, kind of pursuing her through the the fruit cellar and she's like backing up behind some boxes yes. and one of those things. And he's giving a great monologue. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. You don't understand. Yeah. And he's talking as, yeah. as, as his mother, you know, like I, I could, I think that, and that would have given enough time for then Sam to get up to the house and hear them downstairs, you know? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. and and I yeah I would have I would have enjoyed Lila kind of being in a little bit more peril, but you know uh, that's just me I guess being you know a sadist. Um, yeah, they had to wrap it up. I guess. Yeah. No, you have not seen. I assume you have not seen the Blair Witch Project, have you? No, I don't think I could. I don't think. But you who could. knows? I don't I'm know. I'm turning over a lot of new leaves. Yeah. these days it's it is fall. It is very scary, but there's no jump scares necessarily. Mm-hmm. But the end of that movie all takes place. The, it's so scary. But the whole end of the movie takes mm. place in an abandoned house in the middle of the woods, and it's for the people who've seen it. The I think there are so many similarities between the end of the Blair Witch Project and the end of Psycho. Both of them involve uh, somebody uh, sta- in a corner in the basement. Both of them end in the basement. Both of them have a big scream. Um, just a few different things happen. But I just love that connection, sure. too. That, like, in a way, another movie of a different era that was made for cheap and had huge, like, was a huge success and managed to do what blockbusters were doing on a micro budget even better. Um, yeah, has a similar kind of you know climax. I don't know if there's any correlation on purpose, but just a fun through line. 
Yeah, I love that. I mean, I remember when the movie came out, I was like, not for me. I don't think I can handle it. But uh, that's cool. I'm glad that you're able to, you know, that's good insight. But I will, I will never see. You'll it, never see, which is totally fine. Um, <laughs> one moment, I think one of my favorite acting choices in this is when Lila, when Norman comes back in the house towards the end, and Lila's hiding in the stairs to the to the cellar, and she starts to go up the stairs, and she looks down at the door, and then she turns and looks again. And it's just this little double take that is so, like, perfect. It's so perfect, and it's so informed, and it kills me how much they bungle it in the remake. It's just, it's so bad in comparison. Mm. But I've always just enjoyed her kind of looking, and then just, like, you see her realizing, oh, what's down there? And, like, instead of escaping the house, she goes in the basement. I just love that. I I was going to say, I I feel like I missed that, and I'm sad that I did, too, because uh, who was in the remake? Was it Anne Heche? Anne Heche plays Marion, and Vince Vaughn plays Norman, and Lila is, and why I was like, oh, maybe this could be interesting. Lila is played by Julianne Moore. Oh, and you know I love Julianne Moore. She's a, she's she's got a Weston for God's sake for talking through yeah. tears. She's she's been in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it's just it's a I I don't and it, we know she's great. So I think she's just terribly directed. Just terribly directed. She's so bad in this movie and it's so disappointing and i was most excited to see how she would navigate this ending and in the remake it's a little different you know she goes down to the basement she turns you know the chair around there's the dead body there's a little there's a a little addition of having a spider crawl up like the nasal cavity and then she screams and hits the lamp but it's just not the same and then turns around and there's vince vaughn looking ridiculous and then um Viggo Mortensen plays Sam. And so he comes in and manages to tackle Norman to the floor. And then what they added here is that Lila kicks Norman in the face. Okay. Which, you know, I appreciate it. I wouldn't have hated that in, you know, the the original. But, oh, the remake is just... I kept wanting to see it. And people, I think, want to justify it as this really interesting experiment. But... I think it's it's pretty self-indulgent to create an entire shot-for-shot remake just to show how unnecessary it was, I guess. Yeah, it's like, I oh gosh, it's like, I, you know, we've, we've talked about reboot culture and like what needs, I don't think any anything needs to be remade, but in some cases it does work. Like, I, I, I can't think of mm-hmm. any example off the top of my head, but like from what I hear about the West Side Story movie, like, it's you know they're casting latino actors and like it's it's they're changing you know some of the dialogue and it like makes more sense for like a 2021 lens and but it, and that makes me so sad at the same time because like i love the original movie for all of like you know the the flaws that it had with like casting and you know p- uh, making george shakiris uh, and rita moreno like more brown than they actually looked you know it's uh, there's a lot to talk about there but I don't think we need Psycho. Like, can you, like, it reminds me of Carrie, too. Did we need Carrie? Do we need that remake? There have been so many remakes of Carrie. It's, I I don't think we need a remake of Psycho. I thought about it, of course. I think one of the, there might be ways to do it. If you, if they were to remake Psycho, I feel like the one thing that would be really interesting is in the original book, Norman Bates is like, He's like short and fat and balding and creepy. Mm. And he's like in his 40s. He's just this like, I don't know. I don't know who would play him. You know, maybe I, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like whoever I name, it'd be like shady of me to say, oh, you know, so-and-so would play him, you know, like uh, yes. Danny DeVito, you know. Who's <laughs> yeah. um, like but, you know, short, someone, fat and bald, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, in a way, it, I could see, I, it sounds inter- weird, but I think, there's a world where someone like Jonah Hill would be kind of fascinating. Oh yeah. If he like totally transformed. Cause he's a good actor, you know? Yeah. So, but I was thinking about if they were to remake it, the most, well, we'll go backwards from casting. I like the most to the least. Um, I like the idea of, I guess you'd have to decide, but I, I looked at like folks that we have talked about before. Mm-hmm. It's for Marion. I thought Florence Pugh, Oh, 
But then I thought, or do I want her as Lila? I was just going to say know? that was my initial thought. I love Florence right. Pugh as like a sort of lesbian Lila, you know, in our yeah. remake. And so then, of course, I, I stayed in the land of, of Little Women and I thought, oh, Saoirse Ronan as Marion. That actually could be really interesting. That would interesting. be cool. That would be cool. I could also see her doing Lila. I, you know, they could do it in rap, you know? Um, but <laughs> yes. And then I thought, oh, God. While I was in that territory, I thought, oh, God. Timothy Chalamet as Norman. It's just not Yeah, right. I know. You know they would, it's too. It's just not right. They yeah. would. They would. They would. You know who would be really interesting is a, a much younger Justin Theroux. I think he'd be really interesting. Our if Justin. They were to go with that cl- Our Justin. I'd give it all to Justin. I'd give the role to Justin. <laughs> um, I could see a Jim Parsons sort of type mm. as Norman Bates. You know, maybe not. I love that. As heavy set as you were describing but like i think there Mm -hmm. are a lot of boxes there that would be really interesting yes oh i kind of love that the most is jim parsons that's a great idea um all right so like jim parsons and then i almost feel like florence Pugh and saoirse ronan would be too young at that point like they're just a it's not quite so okay so if we were to say i know like how old like actresses in their 30s late i don't even know what yeah right because there's a world where like i know that she's much older but like you know uh amy adams as marion would be great you know um i guess she could be any age really uh i'm thinking i also love the idea of like Marion being an older woman like his mother, and then he kind of starts falling in love oh, with her, and that's part of this. Oh, I like that, so, too. So, you know, giving him opportunity for an older lady to, you know, uh, Diane Keaton as Marion Crane. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. I'm looking oh my at God. Uh, actresses, and they're like, oh, oh, you keep stabbing me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Diane. Uh, I could see Rachel McAdams as Lila. Sure, I would love that. I would see. I could I see, that. see that. Um, I'm thinking about Anne Hathaway, maybe as Marianne or something like that. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, well, she's got the brows. She might be too yeah. tall. Yeah. Oh, I love the idea because the whole con- conceit of Janet Leigh as Marion was again like, let's get a movie star and then we kill yeah. her. It's kind of like Drew Barrymore in Scream. Yes, yes, um, yes. So it's like, yeah. So it's, if we take the same idea, it's like. Nicole Kidman, you know, like, yeah, it's like, get a movie star, get someone, Kate Blanchett. Ah, I you know. know. As, and Judy Dench as Mrs. Bates. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh my God. I, yeah. Uh, I, oh God. Well, now I love the idea of like, it's Judy Dench as Marion Crane and Kate <laughs> Blanchett as Norma Bates <laughs> instead of Norman. And it's just notes on a scandal in a motel with roles. Oh reverse. Yes. And instead yes. of a shower, it's a bathtub. Or instead of a bathtub, it's a shower. You know? I can't get out of the bathtub. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. I love that. I uh, Yes. So anyway, those are things if I were to update Psycho. I also feel like if someone were to remake Psycho, you'd have to... Like, a great example of a movie... So this is in the realm of horror movies, so I know you haven't seen these movies, but there's an Italian movie from the 70s called Suspiria. Oh, yeah, and I know Suspiria. The 70s version is super well-known for this really bombastic score. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite movie scores. And really colorful lighting, and just, like, there's a real style to it. And maybe a little bit less substance. And then they did a remake in 2018 with Tilda Swinton and yes. Dakota Johnson. Fabulous. Such a good movie. Mm. Takes kind of the general kind of basic concept and just does it totally differently. The score is different. The colors are more, is a totally different color scheme. It doesn't try to recreate Suspiria in any way. Unfortunately, the movie did not do well, but I think it's, you know, I think it will be later regarded as a classic. Yeah, I remember the trailer coming out and I was like, this looks cool. It looks like almost something that I could probably see. It didn't, I mean, it looks scary enough, but also like weird enough where the weird would like balance out with the scary maybe or well the thing i think you would love is the movie is 99 percent women oh yeah i know until yeah and tilda playing an old man i mean uh there's two like minor male roles and you get to see their penises so it really is you know i mean they're nothing to sneeze at but i don't know um it'll do i would say it is worth a watch i don't think there's there's a couple rough scenes, but like you just watch Squid Game. So like 
Yeah, I don't and, know, girl. Uh, you know, Midsummer. I watched that. Uh-huh. And, uh, Sounds of the Lambs. Like, yeah, I think I'm, you know, I'm building up uh, the tolerance here. Uh, yeah. I think it's worth it for all the lady acting, uh, for all of the, like, acting, actress sexual, you know, sure. porn that is in horror movies. I think it's worth it. Okay. I just thought randomly, um, too, I know we're... Uh, um, we've kind of wrapped it, wrapped up the casting table here, but I would love maybe oh, no, like we could talk about anybody, like an Amanda Seyfried as a Marion. <gasps> I love that idea. Yeah. Oh, I love that idea. She, that's actually that. I think that's my new favorite one. I think that's perfect. Amanda Seyfried and Jim Parsons just eating sandwiches. What a yeah. weird duo, but I'm into it. Right, right. I, I love it. And then I think, you know, I mean, if we were to really like maybe modernize it and, you know, opportunities for casting, maybe Lila is her adopted sister and there's an opportunity for like, I don't know, Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just to kind of diverse, because obviously, you know, there's no diversity in Psycho. And I'd love that. Yeah. Oh, that my God. Cool. Lupita Nyong'o finding the body in the basement. Oh, get out of here. Screaming. Oh, yeah. Screaming. Uh, all right. Well, there we go. So... <laughs> So we've got Amanda Seyfried, Seyfried, I can't even say her name, Jim Parsons, and Lupita Nyong'o in Psycho 2021. Perfect. Uh, And, you know, the other dude roles. I don't know who would be Sam, you know, someone someone hot. Someone hot. Henry Cavill, throw him in there. Yeah, yeah, someone like that. Yeah, give me me a Some Marvel guy, Uh, yeah. Or like uh, Sebastian Stan. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you know, I do want to just mention, uh, just around casting and whatnot, that it's worth noting as we go back to the original cast that we didn't really talk about it very much, but Anthony Perkins has come up in a best supporting podcast movie topic <gasps> previously. Do you remember what he was in? Oh my gosh, no. Well, it was uh, another nightmare experience. It was Murder on the Orient Express. Whoa. I know. I completely forgot he was in that. Um, he was? Tried to for- I be- that's what IMDb said. Okay. You know what? Yeah. Uh, there is no reason to sit here. I mean, I just picture him like a- wearing one of those like hats with like a chin strap on it carrying luggage. Was he anyone important? <laughs> Well, I think the trivia said that he also played some loner with mommy issues. His character was named oh. McQueen, so they were really telegraphing things. There we go. Um, but yeah, I don't remember because I probably fast-forwarded through all his scenes because that's right. That's right. I uh, iTunes review from a couple years ago. I did fast-forward through it. <laughs> yeah, take that. <laughs> take that. I, just, I, I remember what you said. Um, so anyway, uh, just a fun little connection. Otherwise, any other specifics on Psycho um, that you have? The only other thing I have is that this is the first movie that we ever saw a toilet flush in. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, it's the first I toilet flush. I love that. As far as my, like, just, like, take, I usually have, like, a column in my notes for, like, takeaways or just things that I really love. Like, I really, I, I think I mentioned it just very briefly, but I love Janet Lee's brows. I love her eyes. Oh, I yeah. just think that there's something so perfect about, like, her eyes in this movie, you know, especially when, you know, she's driving away and she has, I think it's, like, in the nighttime, uh, and, and, and she just starts to smile a little bit, but, like, her, mm-hmm. she does look deranged, and I just love it. Yeah, I I agree. I think she's it like it's stupid how beautiful she is. Like yeah. it's just stupid. Like she's gorgeous and just like so interesting to watch act. And I on I mean I've seen her in other things. I mean obviously she's most well known for this role and um she pops up in Halloween H2O from 1998 and she was in another movie called The Fog that I've seen her in. But I haven't really seen much else with her. And yeah. uh certainly from, you know, before this, before psycho and you know from the 1960s so uh but yeah she was in bye bye birdie there we go she played rosie okay i don't know as they would call it birdie i don't know birdie that well you don't know birdie oh i thought you knew birdie (laughs) i thought you i thought you you didn't do birdie in high school (laughs) yeah god oh my god were you in birdie i was in i was uh i did birdie at uh williamstown yeah yeah (laughs) 
I'm trying to think of another like short, like abbreviated musical. I mean, there's so many, but uh, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. Well, if we ever want to talk about her again, there's a movie from 1958 called Touch of Evil okay. that has been on my list. And it's a, it's an Orson Welles movie. Mm. And I think that'd be fun to get that in the canon. And uh, speaking of painting people brown, it has um, Charlton Heston playing a Mexican man. So that's Oof, fun. Yes. Uh, so, you know, you look past the details. Sure. But, um, it, but it's supposed to be great. It's supposed to be a great movie. And, you know, Janet Lee plays, you know, is in a supporting role. So, or maybe a lead role. But she's in it. So great. maybe we should do Touch of Evil sometime. Yeah, sounds sounds good. Yeah, Put her on um, the list. and let's just double check. I think it's only about ninety minutes. Ooh, oh, oh, good God! There's an 111 minute restored version. Jesus. Whoa. Well, well, all right, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about <laughs> we'll it. We'll negotiate uh, off mic. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, I think that's all I I've got. Good. I think yeah. it's time for me to hit the showers. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Um, which is just a funny way of saying we're getting played off. So um, while that while those strings strum away, where can folks find more of you? They can find me on my other podcast, The Good Vanilla, which comes out every Thursday, and it's a Barefoot Contessa podcast, so get into it. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Nick Kochanov. How about you? Well, you can, of course, hear more of me on All Right, Mary. We're about to dive into Dragula. We're doing Drag Race UK on Patreon. We're doing spooky movies on the main feed. So, you busy, know. Busy, busy. Busy, busy, busy. And if that's not enough, you get in the details every week. I've got another episode that'll probably be out, if not before this episode, shortly after. So, if you can't get enough of these dulcet tones, there's more on the way. And, uh, of course, you can get more of me on Twitter at Colin Drucker, Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. And you can get more of both of us in a best supporting capacity on Twitter at BSA Pod. Or you can email us at thebsapod at gmail.com with any mass links. Yes. <laughs> Which sounds like yeah. a weird sentence. But, yeah, let us know. Yeah, get us some mass links. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not looking for a live feed of, uh, you know, a homily. I know. So, right? um, yeah, get it right. In any event, in the meantime, you all out there with those peepers so beautifully peeled, we have a Best Supporting After Show coming up on Friday, and we got a few treat things to talk about. And if I told you what they were, you wouldn't listen. So I'm not going to tell you. I'm excited. uh, we got a lot to cover. We have a lot to cover. So that, as they say, is that. (laughs) 